Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to Joni Jams, a podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni's 1998, intended to be her last, but didn't work out like that, album, Taming the Tiger. You can't tame the tiger. Meow. (laughs) Yes, Taming the Tiger. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe we are actually at this point in the series. It's absolutely crazy. Like, just thinking about the fact that we have made our way through, you know, almost every era of Joni's career. We're kind of approaching the final the final stretch with the uh, three more albums after this. We have Both Sides Now, Travelogue, and then Shine. It's just, it's it's crazy. And no, I'm not doing the Joni live at Newport because that was Brandy live at Newport, not Jenny. Anyways, yes. <laughs> so here we are. Um, I'll start off by saying, actually, I am so sorry for the long break between Turbulent Indigo and Taming the Tiger. I've just been very busy with school and all sorts of other things. So, you know, that's, that's why that's been going on, but I'm, I'm back to, you know, finish strong. (laughs) So finishing strong with, uh, not finishing, but you know, finishing the nineties with taming the tiger, which peaked at number 75 on the U S billboard charts, which for an artist who is, I don't know, 30, 30 plus years in her career, I would say peaking at 75 is, is pretty good. It didn't peak as high, obviously, as Turbulent Indigo, but that's kind of something that we'll talk about a lot in this episode, I think, matching the expectations set from a previous album that was so successful. It's kind of like these questions of how does one follow success? Where does one go musically? You know, where does one go with their career? How much longer do they go for? How much longer did Joni have left in her? And uh, it's been stated before that Joni knew after making Turbulent Indigo that she only had probably one album left in her. At least that's what she thought at that time. You know, I think the record business had really done a number on her. I know that that story about her winning the Grammy and then the next day she saw an article that was like artist then and artist now. And she was in the then and she was like, what the fuck? Like, I think she just knew that it was coming close to the time where she wanted to back out and just get out of the mess that was or is the record business, which you can tell is basically the main, not focus, but it's a big genesis behind what this album is about. This whole concept of getting away from fame, going into more realistic things in life, like family, like love, like reminiscing on the past. I think she's so ready to get out of this business, which is, you know, it's kind of, it's so interesting because you would think that after such a glorious era like Turbulent Indigo where she won two Grammys and she actually right after that she was um, inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which she didn't go to, but that's all right. Um, it's just like you would think that after all these great things that are happening to her, she would want to stay in for even longer. And she's like, yeah, I'm like on a good momentum track. Like I'm going to do more and more and more. But for her just she was so disillusioned with everything and so done that she just wanted to get away from it all really which is why sometimes I think of this album as like a for the roses but 30 years later because in a way it kind of is it's this concept and you'll hear it on the title track for sure which is basically like the title track for the roses which is this whole I'm ready to leave I want to get away I need an escape from the music business this one's a little bit more angry uh just a tad bit there's definitely some anger in some of these songs but there's also 
in a lot of the music on this album, there's a a mellowness or a a wisdom because Joni is obviously older. Her voice is different. Her priorities are different. And I don't know. It's such a different feeling than when you listen to Turbulent Indigo, which is raw, which is angry, which is upset. You know, shoot, Joni was going through divorce. She was upset with the music business, all these things. But now she's at this place in her life, like three years, is it three or four years later after that album where she has had a few, I'll go through what the positives were happen in her life where I think that she's just becoming a lot more able to put all this frustration to the side, just focus on the more positive. And also that comes with a more relaxed feeling, which goes in with a lot of the music And speaking of the music, I would love to talk about one of the biggest changes in her music that she's had, which is the sound of the guitar. So obviously, if you listen to Turbulent Indigo, you will hear that there is suddenly this new sounding guitar that sounds nothing like any of the guitars she's worked with in the past. It's not like this hard electric sound. It's not this hard acoustic sound. It's this sort of mix sound of a guitar, and it's like a weird sound. You're like, what is this Weird guitar. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I'm mixed. I like it on some things, but she did it on every, pretty much every song on this album, which makes it a little overbearing, but I'll get into why she started using that. So Joni was having trouble with guitar playing due to her post-polio syndrome, which makes, you know, everything really hard on her hands and also hurt her back a lot when she was holding these heavy guitars and the tunings were becoming a problem. All of her guitars just constantly tuning them into weird things was really bad for them because uh, tu- tuning your guitar out of standard tuning it's just guitars aren't meant to be tuned like that basically and so the more you fiddle with them the more strings are going to break the more you're going to actually hurt the neck of the guitar um, I've actually had that with my own guitar because I do a lot of the tunings that Joni does I like to you know play her songs and one of the problems is that after I use really heavy strings so they don't break as often but they still break a good amount of time mostly because of these constant changings with the uh, with the tunings of the guitar. Also, the neck definitely gets some wear on it, which I've noticed on mine as well. So it's that, and it was very heavy and hurting her back. So she was like, I think I'm probably going to be done with making music. I like that that was her. She's like, you know what? I can't play guitar anymore. I'm going to be done. So she promised that a 1995 New Orleans date was going to be her farewell performance. And she was like, all ready to go. Like, okay, this is going to be my final, my swan song performance. I, you know, I'm ready to be done because all these issues that I'm having. But when she went to New Orleans, she was offered a custom guitar that was kind of made for her weird tuning things called a roll a Roland VG8, which is basically a very like airy synthetic sounding guitar that has all these different settings. And one of the, one of the great abilities that I had that worked so well with Joni was she, you could, uh, how am I going to describe this? It's so hard to explain if you like don't know guitars, but like you could implement the strings to think that they are a different tune than they are, but you're not actually changing the like actual like, uh, what is it? The actual, like, it's, I'm the words blanking the actual things on the guitar. You're not actually like shifting them or turning them up and down. So it's like, it's in standard, but it's, it sounds like it's in, you know, one of her weird tunings. So it doesn't actually affect the guitar and you can easily switch without having to like fiddle with them constantly. So that was a positive. Also, the guitar was only two and a half pounds. So it was super lightweight and she didn't have to worry about, you know, 
the heaviness that the other guitars were giving her. And so she was like, oh, and it has this weird new kind of synthetic sound because, you know, Joni loves synths and weird sounds. So she was like, okay, I'll try this. And suddenly she was just fascinated with like how it could hold her tunings while still being light and not affect the strings. And it was like kind of perfect for her. So she had this new guitar and she decided to try it out at this New Orleans festival. And it was kind of a mixed reaction of like, hmm, do I like it? Do I not like it by the audience? But Joni was suddenly inspired to make more music because she had this new instrument. You know, new instruments and new things do spark creativity. I know with me being like an artist, when I get new supplies, suddenly I have like new ideas that generate just coming from the, you know, sheer fact that I have new supplies to work with. So I totally can see that. Also, speaking of new things to work with, she had the drummer Brian Blade join her. Uh, which made her even more interested because she loved the way that Brian played the drums. And you can hear it all throughout this whole album. Brian's drumming is just, it's so good. It's cool. It's like relaxed in its tone. And that also helps to the relaxed vibe. But I would say the airy quality of the guitar is the main factor to why this album sounds so lightweight and not, you know, overbearing like sound wise. So those are all the things that kind of go into that. Another thing is that Joni... After, ooh, I think it's like 40 years. No, maybe that's a little bit more. Was finally, at this time, reunited with her daughter. Uh, it's like Kaloran, 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 however you want to pronounce it, Gib, in 1997. After uh, the story about her daughter that she gave away leaked in the press. So it leaked in the press in the late 90s that Joni had a daughter out there. But, you know, who was she? Where is she? And it's so weird that it leaked because I'm like, guys, she's literally been talking about this forever. Like, how do you are just now finding out, like, listen to Little Green, listen to Chinese Cafe, like all these songs where she literally explicitly states that she gave away her daughter. Um, but anyways, yeah, it leaked in the press. And so suddenly the story was out and there was kind of this like search for whatever, like finding Joni Mitchell's daughter. And eventually it was found and Joni was reunited with her daughter and actually her her daughter had a child. So her grandson and this basically, I think that this like felt like a completion. Joni felt complete. Finally, she was reunited with a thing she had to give away that was so weighing on her mind her entire life. And so that also provides a lot of happiness and, you know, new emotions that are brought to this album as well, which I love. And uh, yeah, so there's so those are kind of like the main themes that are with this album. But like even with the soft sound, she still talks about, you know, men, politics, the music industry, like everything is all of the basic Joni Mitchell elements are there. It's just now we have, you know, a different sound, some more things with her daughter being mentioned. So yeah, all these, all these things kind of are accumulating. Uh, when the album was released critically, it was, it was liked, but it was not, you know, anywhere near the level of turbulent indigo. I think that the sound of it, people weren't obsessed with at the time. So that kind of was one of the factors of it. Um, also the title of the album, Taming the Tiger, I should say refers to this idea of the music industry being a tiger that Joni doesn't want to tame or can't fully grapple with. So instead she just decides that she's going to run away from it. So she's like, you know, you can't tame the tiger. So why, why bother? Why try to tame something that I can't, I'm just going to get away from this industry. So that's kind of what the title refers to. Um, oh, another thing that happened at this time was Joni finally, after so many years, got to perform at Woodstock in 98. This is after the album was released, but she got to do Woodstock 98, which is 
or no, this was right before. It was like a month before the album was released. But she finally got to perform at Woodstock when they had their 98 A Day in the Garden Festival. Uh, this is precursing the travesty that was Woodstock 99, I think. But so, yeah, that's fun. I, that's a that performance is actually on YouTube. If you are curious, she doesn't do a ton of older songs, but a lot. I think that she does like two Hygiera songs on there. I know she does. Oh, she does the song Hygiera. She opens with it, actually. And she's like, waited 30 years for this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she does that in Black Crow. But then a lot of the songs from Taming the Tiger are on that. So uh I recommend watching. Joni has the same hat that she's wearing on the album cover, I think. Oh, wait, no, maybe it's a little bit different. But anyways, yeah. So that was something fun. Now let's talk about the artwork on this album. Ooh, I love, love, love this cover. It is so like coy and silly and there's something like mischievous about it because it's Joni painting herself and she's like in this frame again like Turbulent Indigo which yes guys I don't love the whole like in a frame then there's like a wall behind it concept I know it looks a little cheesy but we're just gonna act like that's not there and we're just gonna focus on the painting and it shows Joni holding a little cat oh um I don't know what cat this was was it was it Freud I don't know maybe it was but she's holding one of her little cats and she's looking at the view. She's literally facing directly at the viewer and she's like, you know, kind of like, oh, look, I can't tame the tiger, but here I am holding it right in my arms. Like, I think it's kind of her saying like, you know what? I might not be able to tame the mu- music industry, but it's not going to be able to tame me. And she's like holding it by her, by its, you know, by its neck, basically like, I'm going to take this tiger. I don't know. Maybe maybe she just wanted to paint a picture of her and her cat. Maybe that's probably what it was. Um, and I love the painting style. You can tell she's getting so much more expressive in her like breaststrokes and things like that. But it, it looks so so great. And I I really like this cover. I know like it's it's something I've always always been a fan of. I just love the way she's like staring right at the viewer and is like, look at me, I'm holding my cat. Ha ha ha. It's very silly. I love silly Joni. She's kind of silly on a lot of these songs actually. But uh, yeah, I love, 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 love the artwork. Uh, there's actually like a whole, if you get the CD, there's a lot of other paintings that she does as well. Um, Turbulent Indigo has that too. There's like a lot of landscapes, but yeah. But no one has CDs anymore, so not even worth it. Okay, should we get into the music of this album? I think that we should with the opening track. One of Joni's most kind of experimental songs she's done in a really long time. A very, very fun song. This is Silly Joni at her best. And the song is entitled Harlem in Havana. Ooh. So Harlem in Havana is a very, very sassy opening track to this album. I have to say it is one of my favorite Joni opening tracks just because it's sheer like beauty. It's such a like beautifully fun, interesting, kind of quirky song. And it's about this traveling show that was traveling around. I don't know if it was just Canada. It probably went to the U.S. too, that were called the Harlem in Havana, where basically it was like a circus kind of burlesque show. And whenever it came to town, Joni was not allowed to see it. She was forbidden to see it by her parents. They were like, hell no, that is inappropriate. You're not allowed to go. And so basically she was like, fuck you guys, I'm going to go anyway. So she snuck there (laughs) with her friend. And basically, she went anyways. And this song is like an enticing, it opens, and it's like the music is so like quiet, but it slowly gets loud, slowly gets loud. And then all of a sudden, it's like, boom, it like kicks in. And it's like you've suddenly entered the like circus or performance. It's so well done. You have to listen to it like sound wise. It's just so cool. It's kind of like 
Cotton Avenue overture, how like the overture like kind of lures you in, and then suddenly there's there's like that bow bow, and you're like in that world of Cotton Avenue. Well, here you're like opening. It's like you're walking down this hallway, and then you open up these doors, and it's like do 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 do, and it's like so 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 fun, and it's really cool because it feels like you're entering this show. And I just love the way it builds. And the drumming by Brian Blade mixed with the saxophone of Wayne Shorter, yes, he's back, is so cool. It adds, like, the essence of this club so well. Like, you feel like you're in this, like, old, circusy burlesque performance. The music is just, it's just a brilliant. And this is the first time you hear the guitar, Joni's new guitar, and it works really, really well on this song. Like, this is a great song with that cool, airy, synthy sound. So... I, I like it a lot with the guitar, actually. Um, the song mentions some characters I should actually talk about. Um, Emmy May is one of them, who is a woman from Saskatoon that Joni talks about that runs away with the circus, with the man, and then she came back blonde and shocked the town. <laughs> and she she is the one who snuck Joni and her friend in. And like when she sneaks her in, this is one of the funniest lines. This is when I talk about Joni being an ally. It is so funny. She... Emmy May whispers to Joni and her friends. She goes, see that tall girl? That's a man. That one, two, big yellow feather fan. <laughs> like, so fucking funny. Talking about drag queens. Joni loves a good drag, re- drag queen reference. Hint, tax-free. Tonight she's going dancing with the drag queens and the punks. Anyways. But uh, Joni's line reading is just so funny. I love the way she does that. Or like, uh, what is the first part? It's like, they play Night Train so sneaky. The chords are just, like, so weird mixed with Joni's, like, interesting singing. It's It just makes such a fun, unique opening to this album. Like, who 30 years into their career is making such interesting and innovative and, you know, fresh-sounding music? Like, no one else doing is doing it like the way Joni Mitchell was on this opener. Now, I will say, you go into this opener and it's so expressive and exciting and you're, like, thinking that this album is going to be this way. You're like, oh, my God, this whole, like vibe that she's going for here this interesting kind of new sound is going to be you know like this the whole album but I will say you know (laughs) it kind of tapers out a little bit towards some parts of it but we'll we'll get there we'll get there when we get there but as an opener goes I love Harlem and Havana I think it's just such a great storytelling of this like kind of excitement of sneaking in somewhere you're not allowed to be at like you know, it's just, I don't know, really, really, really fun opener. And yeah, I don't think I really have much else to say, but I recommend recommend a good listen to it. So the next song, we follow the exciting and, you know, daring, fun Harlem and Havana. And then we get to Man from Mars. Ooh. So some backstory about Man from Mars is that Joni was asked to write a song for a movie that I think Larry Klein was doing the music for, basically, and it was called Grace of My Heart, which is maybe a takeoff Carol King's life story. I don't know. <laughs> I think this was also around the same time that Girls Like Us was being written, so, you know, do with that what you will. And Joni told the people, she said, look, I don't really know how much I can write for about love and stuff right now, because all I want to write is I hate show business songs. And they were like, okay. And so she was like, I'll try, but it's just going to be I Hate the Record Business song. So she, like, went home and was working on this song, trying to figure out what she was going to do. And then her favorite cack, 
or cat, <laughs> favorite cat, Nietzsche, ran away. Oh no, for two weeks. And Joni was so, so sad about this cat running away that she ended up coming up with this idea of a song called Man from Mars, basically saying that Nietzsche was like a cat from Mars who went too far. Um, and so she, the day she finished writing the song, after he ran away, he showed back up. Oh, so mystical, mysterious. But it's just so funny that Joni finally was able to write a song for this movie because her cat ran away. Like, <laughs> talk about inspiration. Now, there is a demo piano version of this song that I like a lot more than this version on the album. I have to admit, it's a lot more, like, gut-wrenching and sad. And I actually think this song, like, you don't have to think of it, like, as a cat running away. Like, it doesn't have to be that that vibe to get emotional from it. Like, I feel like if you put it in the story of a man who has mistreated you and then finally went away, I think if you put it in like that context, it's very interesting. I I just, I love the piano in the song, like in the demo. It's so good. I know I'm kind of going back, but I was just thinking about it. It's so good. I love the piano version, but I'll talk about this one because it's the one on the album. Uh, It does use the guitar again that Joni's been using and it's okay on this song, but I just think a piano would have worked better. I think that the true saving grace of this song, though, is Brian Blade's drumming. I think that he is such a cool, like, st- sounding drummer. Like, his drumming sound sounds so relaxed and, like, cool that they kind of save this song a little bit. Also, she references this, the actual movie in this song. She says, no grace in my heart, which is literally the title of the movie she wrote the song for, which is I thought was kind of weird. Um... But then the chorus line, Man from Mars, This Time You Went Too Far. Before I knew anything about the cat running away story, I thought that this song was, like, literally about a man who caused her so much pain that she def- like she decided, like, he went too far and she's going to leave him. Like, she's like, Man from Mars, you've went too far. Like, I'm going to leave you now. Like, you, you, did, you did me too wrong. But I guess that's not really what she was talking about. It was more about a cat, but whatever. Um, and I like that the lyrics on this song, they're simple... Yet they're very personal, and they they definitely have an emotion behind it that works for me. I don't think Joni needs to be at her most, like, flourishing lyrical words. Like, she doesn't need to write like she wrote on Song to a Seagull to have very interesting and very deep-sounding, you know, phrasing. And I think that this song still is really deep and emotional without having to be super expressive in words. Like, you know, I think of a song like... Like Judgment of the Moon and Stars has so many words in it. And I think that that can be just as like emotional as this, you know, different types of emotion, but still you don't have to use that many lyrics. Um, And I I just like it because it's, she's telling a very good personal story and she sings it in a like emotional soft way. Like when she does like I call and call, like she's calling and calling. It's very like emotional. Like she just wants to get her cat back. She's so upset about it. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's just really pretty. And, uh, even though this song was for a movie, I think it works well on this album because, you know, it's written about a cat and this album is all about the feline species <laughs> in a way, taming the tiger. So I, I think it works well on this album, even though it really wasn't made for this album. But it was, I think it was a good choice to put it in here. I just wish they would have done the piano version with Brian Blade's drumming. I guess it would have sounded differently than all the other songs in here. So that's probably why they didn't do that. But I don't know. I like that version a little bit better. But yeah, Man from Mars is a great song. I, Really never talked about, like, majority, if not all, of the songs on this album, but still a great song, in my opinion. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a hater of Man From Mars. I, I enjoy it a decent amount. So, 
The song after that, though, I enjoy uh, a, a little bit less than than Man from Mars, and that song is called "Love Puts on a New Face." Ooh, "Love Puts on a New Face" is a kind of very mellow and relaxed approach to the idea of like trying to make love more appealing and come easy with a new face, which it's kind of like this whole notion of like trying to make. Like, this, uh, how am I going to describe it? Love has many different faces, basically. Which actually is the title of, now that I think about it, that's the title of Joni's box set that she released in, like, 2011. Anyways, uh, I think that's probably what it got it from. Hmm, I just, just kind of realized that. Anyways, this song really is about, like, love has many different sides to it, and you never know what you're going to get. So you just kind of have to take it with a relaxed approach and just kind of accept what is to come. I think that's what this song is about, but do not quote me on that because obviously you can see by my explanation is that I'm very confused. <laughs> so uh, some highlights on this song are the saxophone. Sounds really good. I like the saxophone a lot. Uh, I like the lyrics in France. They say every day love puts on a new face because it's kind of a in France they kiss on Main Street hissing of Summerland's reference, which I always love a callback. And Oh, I do really like also the line, you can't slay these beasts of prey, some bad dreams even love can't erase. Ooh, that, now that's what I'm talking about where Joni doesn't use crazy words, but it still gets out a really strong, strong statement. Like saying, you can't slay all these bad things that's happened in the past. Like some good things like love can't even erase that. And I, that's, that's a really beautiful line. And like the whole second verse deals with her being swarmed with the music business and how she's having like trouble to find focus or like time for love. And she wants to change, but she's just not sure she can. And this man wants her, but she keeps having things that are like pushing her away. Like she's like, I'm up to my neck in alligators, jaws gnashing at me, gnashing, gnashing at me. Like she, she's so consumed by the other things that she just wants to get away and find love, but she can't find the time, which also goes into this notion of like, this whole album being about wanting to get away from the music industry. And she, and this is one of the reasons is that she wants to find time for love with another person, which I think she actually does at this time. Well, I know she does. Yeah. She's dates that. Oh, what's his name? It's, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Oh, Don, Don Freed. Is that his name? Yeah. I think we'll talk about him later, but see, she does find some love, but she's very busy with the music industry to fully retain it. I think. And, uh, I don't know. The song is very light and airy and it's sound again. This guitar is once again used, so I can't, you know, really, there's not too much to talk about. Um, I like the saxophone on it, but that's to, that's to be expected because I always love a good brass, brass sound to be added. But uh, yeah, I don't know. There's not too much to say about Love Puts on a New Face. She used it a lot on the press tour for this album, so I guess it's a song that she really enjoys. I've just always felt like this song is a little... To say the word boring but slow how about that <laughs> i don't want to say boring boring the old man is snoring it's just me a mellow vibe which is which is okay we're, we're fine with a mellow vibe um but to counteract that mellow vibe the next song is a song that i literally love this song so much you guys like you have no idea how much i love this song it is one of the most fun Joni mitchell songs and it is entitled Lead Balloon. Yes, indeed. It's fucking titled Lead Balloon. I love this song. And so much information came out about this song recently from a Pitchfork article that I had no idea about. And so thank God I waited to film this episode because now I finally know the information. So 
This song is really an experiment with like a true, true heavy rock sound, which I think was still used on the same guitar. And she's like shredding the guitar on this song. It is like electric, intense, fiery. It's so good. And she's like totally kick ass in the song. We'll get to it. But like the first lyric, kiss my ass, I said, then I threw my drink. Must be the Irish bud fight before you think. So good. So like badass, like fuck with me and see what happens. <laughs> kind of sound um but so here's the stuff that came out in the pitchfork article that i had no idea about so it was a song written about the rolling stone founder uh john wayner john weiner spelled j-a-n-n who said that Joni was not a philosopher of rock and roll like and she shouldn't or she shouldn't be joining the rock and roll hall of fame he also was known to exclude women artists and artists of color as well and so basically at some awards event Joni confronted him and threw a drink on him and basically was like, kiss my ass. And that is legendary. That's called a mother right there. Joni was being mother right there and said, fuck you, you misogynist and maybe also racist. Like, fuck you and you saying all this shit about me. I'm going to throw my drink at you. And she got him good. (laughs) I was also reading like some of the stuff that like Rolling Stone had said about her in the past. And it's just like. They were so unnecessarily rude to her, and it had to be because she was a woman. It really, I really think strongly that that's why. Like, the list about Joni and all the men she's, like, been with, that is disgusting. Like, I can't believe that they ever even did that, like, back in, it was, like, in the 70s. Like, I don't know. Rolling Stone has a really weird place for me that I'm not sure I enjoy, and I'm glad that she was able to get some, get some, uh, fight back at the founder of it. So, yeah, that was... An interesting story that I found out that I love. I love when little things like that come out and then you get a whole new meaning to the song. And uh, actually, I know that prob- people are probably wondering what a lead balloon means. And it's basically like when something goes down very bad or is like received very poorly. And so Joni basically like says this situation is going to go down like a lead balloon. Like it's going to go down bad if he keeps trying it. And I love the line, talk about misogyny. An angry man is just an angry man, but an angry woman is a bitch. Kind of this notion that people always say like, if a man is angry, you know, it's justified because he's a hard worker and he's this and that. But if a woman gets angry and wants something good, then she's a bitch or she's uh, de- she's too demanding. She's a diva. I always think about it with, like, people like Barbara Streisand or people like Diana Ross. I've heard this constant, constant thing where they're talking about, you know, because they're a perfectionist that suddenly – or they want things to be good. They're a bitch. They're a diva. They're all this stuff. But – You see men that are perfectionist and are demanding and they're like, well, that's just, you know, they just expect a lot from people. And it's such a double standard. And Joni's pointing that out. She's like, why is it that an angry man is just an angry man, but an angry woman is a bitch? Like, fuck that shit. And uh, oh, my God. Another thing adding to this amazing sound on this song, like with the guitar, is the saxophone is blaring. Like, it is intense. And there's just like an aggression and a power on this song and it's just a clear like anthem of people that are pissing you off like fighting back and I just love this song so much like Joni is such a badass for writing this I know people don't like it some people don't like it because they think it's like a stupid song but no it's it's brilliant like this is such oh it's so good and I highly highly recommend listening to this song when you're pissed off because it will get out so much aggression it's like a therapy session basically (laughs) Okay, go to therapy if you need it, but this song's also there. So, uh, yeah, I just, I love Lead Balloon so much. And that kind of starts a little bit of, like, the the anger of this album starts coming out a little bit more with Lead Balloon. Well, it comes out a lot, actually, on Lead Balloon. And then it kind of 
continues for another two songs, which I'll get into, but it's a good a good start to the angry kind of feeling on this on the next few songs. It's just yeah, I love Lebloon so much. And uh the next song I also like a good amount. Not as much as I love Lead Balloon, but it's still good. This one is a little bit more frustrated at a political feeling rather than the, you know, music industry. And that song is entitled No Apologies. That was kind of a happy introduction to a very <laughs> moody and sad song in a way. Um, so this song is about an actual true event that happened. I did not know about this situation at all um, until I did, you know, the little, uh, hmm, like, excuse me, researching for this album, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. And um, it's about an event that happened in September 1995 where two U.S. soldiers kidnapped and raped a 12-year-old Japanese girl while stationed in Okinawa. And basically, it was this whole scandal that came out. But the twisted part of it was that the general of these men did not apologize for this violence and instead tried to justify it and say, like, you know, they, you know, they did. They just erred in judgment. And they just they should have hired a hooker instead. They shouldn't have done it with this girl. But, you know, they, they it was a judge, a bad judgment call instead of condemning them the way that he should have been. And it just goes to show this, like, fucked up shit about how people do horrible things and then are able to not get condemned in the proper way that they should because, you know, there's just this really disgusting, like, low morals of of a lot. And uh, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's just a very somber tale of, like, modern America, but it's a really good song. And it says, like, Joni talks about America's just infested with violence and greed, Lawyers and loan sharks have caused moral and social decency to go to waste. And it's like she's taken her 80s political anger and it's still there, but it's at a lot more mellow and sad feeling. Like this song is very mellow and soft, but also really heartbreaking. Even, I mean, the story alone that it's based on two U.S. soldiers raping a 12 year old girl, like it's absolutely terrible, but you know. I think that Joni really felt she needed to talk about it. And so that's why it came out on this song. The drumming on this song is actually really good. I, I never noticed it until I did my re-listen, but Brian Blade does a great job. I'm probably going to say it on like every song, but you know, whatever. It's really good. And this is, yeah, this is an interesting song. Also the line in the song that I think is really, really interesting is what makes a man, a man in these tough times? Well, what does make a man a man in these tough times? I'm asking the audience metaphorically, <laughs> to, to, rhetorically to think in their head. I, it's just, it's a very thought pondering kind of statement that I don't even really know if I, I've thought about it long enough to know what my answer is, but I just think that she brings up an interesting point. And this song does bring up a few interesting points and uh, it, it's, it's, it's a really interesting song. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how I feel or like, how, how I feel about some of the statements she makes, like what my own thoughts are on the morality of America. But it's, it's she does really interesting, interesting points. Because um, I don't know. I think that there are some, like I think that Joni kind of broadens that everything in America is horrible and all the, all things are bad. But I feel like there are, maybe at least now, I feel like there are some glimmers of hope in some places. It's very small, but... Okay, now I'm getting into a political rant. Anyways, this is like the the doggy dog episode. Yeah, no, we'll we'll move on to the next song before I start getting more more uh, pondering on all those sort of things. So 
Now we move on to the title track, the holy grail of this album, which is the song Taming the Tiger. Ooh. So this is uh, For the Roses 2.0, basically. <laughs> a true, a, the, my true high point of the album that basically so, sums up Joni's place in the world at this time pretty fucking perfectly. She's just trying to escape the music industry. She says, I'm a runaway from the record biz, from the hoods in the hood and the whiny white kids. <laughs> They're all, you know, boring, boring. The old man is snoring and she's taming the tiger. Like, it is so, the lyrics are like twisted. They're angry. They're interesting. I This song has, a, I have an attraction to this song. I think part of it is because of the chords of it, which I'll talk about. I've decided that I'm going to talk about the actual music of this song on the song Tiger Bones, which is the last track of this album, which is just the instrumental of this. So I can focus more on the lyrics while I'm talking about, you know, the lyrics of this track, if that makes sense. But uh, I love the way Joni does the line readings on this song. They're silly, but they're also like, really interesting like the way she does you can tame the tiger or like oh be nice kitty kitty like she's almost like mocking mocking the music industry in a way like it, it's really it's really colorful and interesting also i was gonna say that the lyric sophia says it's hard to catch and harder to ride is a real thing that the actress sophia loren said and so that's kind of what inspired that line um, what about the line accolades and honors one false move and you're a goner T- kind of talking about that to me if you were to read it now could be seen as like cancel culture in a way like one false move and you're a goner like I feel like that resonates so well now Joni's prophetic eye but also I think it references to her at that time like she got accolades and honors from Turbulent Indigo but she makes one mistake on this album and she's gonna be you know zapped away which I think she's kind of ready of she's bored bored of the music industry it's predictable it's corporate and she's just like not wanting to tame the tiger anymore she's so done with trying to tame a music business that doesn't want her in it or tries to push her out at least in her her feelings i love the line genuine junk food for juveniles like music is so corporate it's it's just it's just like eating junk food you know you consume it and then it goes away and that's kind of how I don't know, most radio music I feel like is, even today, all music is just kind of, not all music, but a lot of music that you hear on the radio is just genuine junk food for juveniles. <laughs> and then the one line that also is like really sad, but it's just like interesting. She says, I'm so sick of this game. It's hip. It's hot. Life's too short. The whole thing's gotten boring. Like, it's so sad that she feels that way because Joni is such a great artist. You would wish that she wouldn't feel that way about the music industry, but she's sick of it. It's hip, it's hot. She's she's just ready to run away. And that's why I talk about it being For the Roses 2.0 because it's just this idea of trying to get away from things. And and For the Roses kind of mentions the idea like speculation, well, who's to know if the next one in the nest will glitter for it so? Now that is a very colorful way of kind of saying a similar line like accolades and honors, one false move and you're a goner. Like there's a lot of these connections. I don't even know if Joni was thinking about it this time. I mean, maybe she was, but... She just, you know, she's bored, she's angry, she's done. And at the end, she says, fight to the light. Which I think references this, like, fight to reach the end of her time in the industry and get out while she's still sane. Like, she's like, I'm going to fight to the light, finish this album, get the fuck out of here. It's like, get, 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 what is it? Like, get the fuck out of Dodge. Is that what the phrase is? Get out, get the hell out of Dodge, maybe? Excuse my language. I don't know. 
But uh, I just, that's, you know, what I think that line's probably about. I just, I adore this song so much. I can't explain it. Something about the way she reads the lyrics, something about the lyrics themselves. It's just so good. And obviously I'll talk about the music on the Tiger Bun song, but uh, yeah, Taming the Tiger is a fucking great song. Oh my God, I love it. So many F-bombs today. I guess I'm just feeling the, the anger, the music anger, right? No? <laughs> Well, actually, I'm about to feel some anger again, because the next song I'm going to talk about is a song I I can vehemently just say, I don't like the next song, and it is The Crazy Cries of Love. Ryan, why do you hate The Crazy Cries of Love? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here, here is why. Here is why. First of all, the song was written by Joni and her then-boyfriend, Don Freed, who I mentioned earlier, who was also a singer-songwriter from Canada that she was dating at the time. So I think that he is one of the reasons why this song is not as good. I think he brought I think he brought it down a little bit. I think his lyrics I don't know. I mean, I don't know which ones he actually wrote, which one Joni did, but something about the lyrics on the song are not great for me. And it's like a song that's like it has the whole band on it and it's like light, romantic and flirty, but I just don't like it. I don't know why. I don't like the lyrics. I don't really like the melody. Something about the way she sings the song I don't like. Like the, oh, oh, my, my. Like, mm -mm, no, I, I don't like that. It's like she's orgasming, which actually, I think that that literally is what the crazy cries of love means. I am pretty sure that the crazy cries of love is about, is like orgasming. And when she does, oh, oh, my, my, that's literally an orgasm. Like she says, no paper thin walls, no folks above. No one can hear the crazy cries of love. Like, no one can hear them having sex, I guess. Maybe. Maybe that's just my dirty mind. I don't know. <laughs> or then she talks about doing it in a late night, uh, in a back booth of a late night, all all night cafe. I mean, like, it, they're crazy. Some freaks over here. And I, 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 this song is just way more sexual than I ever remembered listening to it because I never listened to it. And I, like, reheard it and I was like, oh my god <laughs> it's like are you talking about like having loud sex because no one's around like what, what what is this song it's very very weird i i really have no no explanation <laughs> it's just yeah uh i would say the only saving grace here is wayne shorter saxophone playing but that's really that that's saying a lot because i am not not a fan uh yeah i'm just gonna move on because it's making me i'm getting annoyed just thinking about the song so anyways the song after that is another kind of short love song, but this is a tentative one, and it's entitled Stay in Touch. And it's a song where it's, like, about you want to keep things going with someone, and you want to, like, move, like, because the relationship's new, and you want to keep going and, like, see where it's going to lead you to, but you know it's fragile, and you, and you just don't know where the relationship is going to go, so you want to take time. Like, like, let's just stay in touch, but, like, Let's be hesitant. Now, I think that this song could be about one of two things. I think it could be about Don Freed, the guy she's with, not Don Elias, the other man she was with at one time. Um, or I think that this song could be about her daughter, too. Like, either readings work, but it's about, like, our rules aren't clear, so we mustn't rush. Like, let's just stay in touch. Like, we're not sure what we are yet or what we have yet, but let's take it slowly. And you could see that with being, like, the idea with her daughter. Like, it's a new relationship that they have. And, like, you know, they don't know each other. And they're, they're mother and daughter. Like, what is this relationship? Like, let's stay in touch and figure out what this is. Like, part of this is permanent. Part of this is passing. Like, 
we should just surrender and let fate and duty shape us. Like there's all these beautiful like sentiments that she wants to keep with this new relationship, but there's also this hesitancy that is very clear throughout the song. Like talks about like wanting to get deep in love without letting go of the past and building a strong foundation, which I think is so important in all relationships. Like this idea of having a strong understanding of each other and foundation before you go any further, which not even just in love, but in friendships and things like that. It's just, it's a warmer, the next few songs have like a warmer quality to the way that they are sung, which I really like. I mean, it's like mellow, but I I really like this song. It's sweet and it's, it's really a good song about the beginnings of love, which I think is really a really nice kind of switch from some of the stuff we were hearing on Turbulent Indigo, which were all about like, you know, being sad and leaving love. So yeah, that's that. And then kind of a continuation of that theme, we have facelift. Ooh. And I remember when I first clicked on this song, I was like, oh my God, is it going to be a song about plastic surgery? Oh my God. No, it wasn't. It was not a song about plastic surgery at all. This was a song that Joni wrote about coming home to stay with her mom in Canada. And she brought Dawn with her. And they were, obviously, they were just dating. They weren't, you know, married. And Joni's mom, Myrtle, who, you know, we always get a I Hate Myrtle song every now and then. And Joni's mom was upset that Joni was staying with him and they weren't married. She was like... I don't, I don't like that at all. Joni calls this a morbid, another one of her morbid Christmas songs because <laughs> it is set around that time of year, which is so funny. I love a good Joni's morbid Christmas song notion, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very, it's just funny. Um, but this song is not about a facelift. It's more about this idea that Joni's trying to tell her mom, who's all upset about this. She's like, mom, like happiness is the best facelift. Happiness is the best remedy like, just be happy that I'm in love and that something good is going on. Like, don't be upset and, like, putting your morals on me. It's just, I think it's such a beautiful line. Because her mom's all upset about these things, like, shacked up downtown, making love without a license. Like, you've seen too many movies, Joni. Snap out of it. Which, by the way, I 100% will stand by this idea that when she says that line, you've seen too many movies, Joni. Snap out of it. I think she's referencing a movie, which is... Moonstruck with Cher, like, snap her out of it. <laughs> I think that is 100% what she's referencing. I can't confirm that, but I think that's what she's saying. Um, oh, and I was going to also talk about, like, again, with the frustrations of her with her mom. Like, she says, for God's sake, I'm middle-aged mama and time moves swift. And, you know, happiness is the best facelift. And, like, the relationship of Joni and her mother has always seemed rocky. And you could tell at this point, like, even just bringing home an unmarried man that she's going to stay with at, like, middle age, her mom is still... Judge, judging her I love the line also like love takes so much courage love takes so much shit <laughs> that is so fucking true I kind of quote that actually a lot like love takes courage and love takes shit and she's taking shit right now from her mom and she's like fuck why is love so complicated uh, the version of this song actually from 1998 at Woodstock is very fun because Brian Blade does like an interesting drumming pattern with it where it makes the song a little bit faster and so it's like it's like dun, 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 love takes so much courage Love takes so much shit. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know. It's, it's fun. I like the music here. It has the guitar again, uh, but it sounds it sounds good. I like it on this song, actually. There's an airy quality that works with the Christmas vibe. Because uh, the whole like last verse is like, beneath the Christmas lights, like we kissed and we kissed the angels and the moon eclipse. Like kind of like a beautiful, a beautiful feeling. And you can just tell in this song, Joni wants to be happy and be in love. But these issues with her mother are kind of hurting this... Christmas bliss 
And uh, there's actually little synths that come into on the Christmas lights song. It's like, which is like really pretty. And I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really beautiful song. And she says like, bless us. Don't let us lose the drift. It's kind of like that stay in touch notion. Like let's please like, let's keep it on track and kind of make something out of this. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful song. I've always loved the song Faceless so much. I can't explain why I just do. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. So now, we have Joni's final sung with lyrics, not her own lyrics, but sung song on this album, My Best to You, which basically, if you think about it in the context of when Joni released this album, this would be her last song, like her signing off. Like this is her, because she said this was going to be her last album. So she's like, I'm signing off this signing off. Bang, bang, kiss, kiss uh, to quote Lana. And so it's kind of interesting that she would sign off her last like sung song with a cover but it works really well in this notion of my best to you it's like she's saying that to everything her fans to the music industry to her love to her daughter it's like her farewell kind of feeling and the song was written by uh gene waldens waldson and isham jones and it's sorry for that pronunciation gene it's just a really kind of sweet and positive way to end such a kind of, I don't know, angry middle section of this album. And uh, it starts off with these like kind of weird senses like, and it builds into this like very happy, lush, like, so here's to you. May your dreams come true. May father time always be unkind. I don't like the, oh wait, I should actually mention that the way she sings that, like always be unkind. It's very, very weird. Anyways, <laughs> it's just like, I think that this was Joni's way of like when she thinks that this is since she thinks this is her last album, I think this was her way to like sign off in a happy and positive way and wish everyone the best who followed her, wish the best positive things for her love, her daughter, the world. And it's just, it's a really pretty way to end the album. And I love the line. I know it's not hers, but I just love the line. Each new day is a kiss sent from up above with an angel's love. I think that's really sweet. And it's like a simple but sweet way to end the album and her time in the music business as she thinks it's going to be. It's kind of a synthy song, but it's it's manageable. And uh, yeah, what an interesting way. It's such an interesting way to do the last like fully sung album that she thought she was going to have for her career. Like, like if think about if Joni actually had retired after this, like this would literally be the last time Joni sings on on an album. And it's like my best to you. Huh? I like the song, but it's just I, I guess I, I and I see why she would choose it. But I don't know. Something interesting to think about to think about in my my time pondering. And then the actual final, I'm not going to call it a song because it's more of just like a instrumental, which I guess are still songs. I don't know. Which is Tiger Bones. Ooh, Tiger Bones. And Tiger Bones is, <laughs> I always say I am the only, the only man who's, I guess now I'm 20 because I just had my birthday, but the only twink that knows how to play Tiger Bones on guitar because <laughs> it's, it's true. I'm the only gay twink that knows how to do that right now. Uh, maybe some older Older twinks do, but I, I think I take the young twink award for that. And it's really interesting to close this album with like the actual instrumental of Taming the Tiger, a song about wanting to run away from the music business. And so she finally ends it with this like bones of a song. Cause she, I mean, basically she, she calls it Tiger Bones because it's like Taming the Tiger, but it's just the like, just the music. So it's like the bones of it basically. And I just love hearing Joni play this melody. And I know I was going to talk about the melody on this song because it's so 
I love the chords of this song, and like obviously since it's Taming the Tiger, both. It's they're mysterious and they have a very interesting sound. And I, I really, really like the chords on these songs on both Taming the Tiger and Tiger Bones. I guess they're the same, but you know, I like them a lot. And I don't know, I guess she's ending her studio albums the way her career started, like just on a guitar, using a weird tuning, the way she always has. And I, I love Tiger Bones. I think it's such an interesting song to listen to. Like obviously there's not much too much I can say about it, but I think a, I think I'm a Tiger Bones stan actually. Uh, Twitter is always laughing at Tiger Bones, but I, I am a stan. I think it was a great addition to this album, kind of like a little bonus track, which is fun. So, so yeah, that is Taming the Tiger. Oh my gosh, we are finally out of the '90s. Uh, I don't know if that's like a happy thing or a sad thing. And we only have three more albums to go. Oh my gosh, three more. We have the 2000s era coming, which will be very interesting to talk about. Um, I'll mention the. I'll do the ratings now. I will give this album, you guys are going to hate me, but I'm going to give this album a 7 out of 10. I know I am a horrible person. I should be giving it higher, but it's just not not my favorite. As you can tell, there's some songs that I'm a little indifferent to. It's not bad in any way. It's it's just, it's a 7 out of 10. This is actually the lowest I've given a Joni album in so long, but... Yeah, I think this is the rating I gave Clouds, actually. I like this album more than Clouds. I will say that. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, I have some feelings about it. Uh, my favorite song is a mix of Taming the Tiger and Lead Balloon. Depends on the mood I'm in. You know, they kind of go back and forth. And my least favorite song is The Crazy Cries of Love. And yes, I even included Tiger Bones in my, like, kind of opinions. I'm like, okay, could that be considered? Like, I'll include it as a song. And Crazy Cries of Love still goes below that. Because I do not like that song at all because I'm a hater I guess so <laughs> but yes thank you all so so much for listening uh the we are you know coming to a close but I'm just still I still love talking about Joni's music so so much uh the next time you listen to a Joni Jams episode we'll be in a new new decade with a new podcast cover all the covers obviously are done by me this one I'm really really proud of you'll see uh has Joni and uh, the both sides now Joni I think it's what is the middle one? Is it like the travelogue one? I can't remember. I haven't seen it in a hot minute. And then the last one is her at Newport. No, I'm not covering Newport, but you know, I thought I'd include it. Kind of her final hurrah uh, album-wise. I don't think she's going to probably do another one after that. Uh, also, I might, if anyone is interested, I don't know if I said this on the last episode, but I might do an, a little mini thing on the archives, maybe, possibly. I think I already mentioned that, but I'm just letting people know that that's something that's in my mind, if anyone cares. I don't know. Maybe they do. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all again so, so much for listening to Taming the Tiger. I'm sorry about the wait. I promised to be a little bit more on things when I'm not so busy. Uh, but yeah, I will see you all next time on Both Sides Now. Ooh, emotional. I'm already, I'm already feeling the emotion and the string sounds coming. Yes. <laughs> and I will see you all next time. Yes. Bye.